Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. This is a continuation of chapter 10, right? So chapter 10, we've been working our way through. Animal sacrifices uh, are not sufficient, right? The old covenant lacked the ability to free hearts and and to free minds, and we talked about that. Uh, There was a longing for you know, the, the heart being changed and softened. Uh, our conscience in the old covenant remained with this level of guilt, but Christ came once and for all, not the daily sacrifices of animals, not the, the yearly day of atonement sacrifices, came once and for all to deal with sin and death. And the laws are now written on our hearts. So it's a completely different system and it's so much better than what it was. The old way was, remember, a shadow? It was like a shadow of the things to come. And we, we joked that you wouldn't take a picture of your child's shadow. You'd take a picture of your child. Like, oh, that's a cute shadow. Not, it's only cute because you know, you know what's behind that, right? I was thinking about this when I was a kid. Do you guys remember seeing things in your room that from shadows? <laughs> I, I had this, like, it was a, um, a coat rack and this is the 80s. This is with stuff we had in the 80s. And it was like a painted, uh, you know, frog holding a guitar. And in the middle of the night, it was a man uh, staring at me every night. And as soon as I turned the light back on, of course, it was, you know, back to being a frog holding on to my 49ers jacket. Um, but, sorry for, my, for the Seahawks fans here. Uh, anyway. This, this, it, the shadows are deceptive and a shadow can be cute, but you got to really know what the substance is before you really even can fully understand and appreciate the shadow that we're not dealing with the shadow anymore. We're dealing with the real thing. When you get engaged to someone, that's a time and a season. But when you get married, I no longer refer to my wife as my fiance or my, you know, who, you know, she was my fiance. That was null and void. That was like a, a waiting period between, hey, getting to know each other and marriage. This is now we're entered into the real thing, the new covenant. Our response to that is to enter into what has been made available to us through the blood of Jesus. So this is all context of the rest of chapter 10. So through the blood of Jesus, our hearts are sprinkled, our bodies are washed, cleansed. Uh, we talked about the water, um, the renewing, the spirit, the word also washes us. I was talking to Jim about that, right? Uh, now, and, and through the word and, and the witness of baptism is another way. We're called to hold fast, to anchor ourselves to our confession of hope, not wavering based on his faithfulness. So this is recognizing all that Jesus has done. We're called not to waver, not to like be a little sketchy about it. Uh, But we're to let this transform our lives and how we deal with one another, how we talk to one another, how we approach one another, and even so much more so as we see the day approaching. So that's the context coming into this. Now we're looking at this difficult passage. There's three warning passages prior to this. Um, And on the other side of this passage is like really fun faith stuff. Get into the hall of faith and all kinds of really cool stuff. But there's three warning passages before this. And this is another warning. And these warnings are really important. After every major point of the supremacy of Christ over all these different parts of Old Testament, Old Covenant, Jewish living, 
There's a warning for those who choose or who want to mess around and go backwards. And this one is by far the gnarliest one. And so this is, uh, this is definitely a safeguard against a false sense of security. And it also shows us how gnarly it can be when we start backsliding. We can't see it until it's like kind of done, right? That's the thing about sin is it's, it has a way of you not really realizing what it's doing to you until it's almost too late. So this is, this is the desire of the author for them to continue on. Okay, so verse 26 and 27. For if we sin willfully... After we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. That sounds really gnarly, doesn't it? What does that sound like? It sounds like what? Like, yeah, if you mess up after you've been saved, if you, if you, if you sin, that's a wrap. Who's going to heaven? <laughs> right? And, and what's so interesting about this is, it, I think what's so troubling is going, like, what is this passage? It seems to uh, be completely different than everything else that we see in Scripture. So what happens when we find something or a passage that our interpretation of it is something completely different than everything else we basically see in Scripture? What's, what do we do? We look, we want to look and, and see, we've got to search it out, right? You guys familiar with the terms eisegesis and exegesis? Okay, eisegesis, basically the idea of eisegesis is getting the text to say what you want it to say. And you can, you can do this really easily. You could find Bible verses that you can paste together. And it's almost like a, a murder or like a ransom note, of scripture, you know, like where it's like you cut out all the different pieces out of a magazine and it's, you spell out a word with all the, here's the S and here's the, you know, T and whatever, and you add it all up. And, and this is what we basically make a ransom note out of scripture. And, and none of those letters are being used in their proper context because it's been sliced and diced and whatever. And so that's kind of what eisegesis is. We're getting the text to say what we wanted to say. We find verses to help us make our own set of doctrinal beliefs. Now, is this happening? Yes. Has it happened before? Absolutely. Like it's very easy for this to happen and we're prone to do this. This is why one of the Real benefits of going through straight through the word, going straight through books of the Bible is you can't hide from stuff you don't want to deal with. I can't, guys, I can't tell you how often I'm like, I don't want to teach this. Like, I don't want to wrestle with this one. I don't, I can it just be an easy one this week. But like, there's a point, whatever, actually what happens every time you go through a really like gnarly text is afterwards, you're like, that was like my favorite one. Because there's like a part of it where you're wrestling with it and you're like, oh, whoa, that, I was not seeing that clearly. So I said Jesus is to take little thoughts or ideas and make our own doctrines out of them. Exegesis is to do what? It's basically, if you've done inter, uh, um, I, I, IBS, inductive Bible study. Remember we've had that here. Dan Finfrock's come years and years and years ago. But the, the basic idea is that you take the, the text and you look at it and you use observation, 
what is the, you know, what's being said, what is actually going on here, interpretation, what does it mean? Like, what is, what is the text meaning? Why, why is this being said? Like, what, what's the point here? Correlation, how does this fit with the rest of Scripture? Are there verses that support this idea? Doctrines cannot be built on a single verse. They cannot. Because if, that's, if it's only got one verse and it's not filled by the whole of Scripture and it doesn't follow in the whole of Scripture, the vein of what, what Christ is doing, the redemptive work, the, what he's done on the cross, his, his plan for human history, his, the fact that he loves us and he has grace for us and mercy for us, if it doesn't fit in with all of these things and yet he's holy, then we go, okay, there's something missing here. I'm missing something here. So if it doesn't fit in with that correlation, the verses that work alongside it, that's a problem. And then the fourth thing would be application. How does this actually apply to my life here and now? Interpretation, how does this apply to their life? What does it mean for their life? Application, what does this mean for me now in the year 2023 in North San Diego, California? So exegesis, as you can tell, is very, very important. But this, if we're going to take this text, we're going to look at it and go, okay, so if you've been given the sacrifice of Jesus dying on the cross uh, and you've, you've received that, but then you turn back and you sin, what ends up happening? Well, there's no longer a sacrifice for those sins. You're, you're stuck. You're out. Well, if we take it like that, then, then there's a whole bunch of problems with the rest of Scripture. Why even write warning letters to churches? Hey, guys, uh, you know what? Let's, let's get this cleaned up. Let's turn. Let's watch this brother turn from the, from the error of his ways. Let's see if we can, you know, like, guys, let's bring holiness back into the church. Let's watch this turn around. What, what's the parable of the prodigal son? If, it's, if there is no grace and no mercy, hey, the dad says, sends, it to, sends a message out to his son. Let him know, you can't come back. You had your shot. That was it. So if, if we're to see this and we go, immediately, whoa, does this mean if I ever sin outside of, you know, after being a Christian and knowing better than I, and I'm willfully sinning? Well, most sin is willful, whether we want to admit it or not. So that can't exactly be what it means. So we know what it doesn't probably mean as far as through the rest of scripture. So what does it mean? Well, like everything else, it's important to find it in the context This is a rejection of the work that Jesus did on the cross. It's a rejection of that work and a return to Judaism. It's looking for salvation in another place. It's going back to 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 the way it was before and looking back to where where else can I find salvation. It's Jesus and. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but I feel like he should have made another way too. I feel, like he should, I feel like I should have another option in. Uh, that is absolutely blasphemous, and that is a rejection of what Jesus has done on the cross. Because what's the, what's the terminology? We willfully sin after we receive the knowledge of the truth. So what is the context we're dealing with the Hebrews? These people who know the truth, and we're gonna see at the end of this passage, they were down. 
like God was using them in a mighty way. They were willing to give up their property and their rights and their goods. And they were, they were suffering, being persecuted. They were serving God and they are choosing, or at least there's, there's the hint that they're going to choose to go a different direction. And so the author of Hebrews is like, please don't go that way. There's no salvation anywhere but with Jesus. And so he's been making this point, and now he gives us like the straight up, like the, the blunt truth. You know how you try and like explain something to someone, and you're nice, and you're kind of kind, and they're just not getting it, and then you have to be like, okay, so here's the real thing. Boom. And they're like, that was offensive, and you're like, you weren't listening. <laughs> or, or like maybe how the Lord does that with us. And it's like, yeah, that's really not the way we should go. Ah, uh, you know what? You should really deal with that. Ah, uh, you know what? Hey, I got better for you. I got better for you. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, and you hit the ground and you're like, ah, I told, come, come on, you know. This is, that was a lesson you needed to, know, to learn. You had to feel that. You had to be, you had to sense that. So this is a real stark warning and a shot across the bow for these believers that were thinking they could return to a, some sort of a hybrid thing with Judaism. So they're thinking about going back. There's no longer remains, because he says, after the knowledge, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. There, there's part of the context. If we sin will, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment, fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. There is no other way but Jesus. No other way. And this is rejecting the means of grace. This is how God has given us grace. This is how he's offered to us an opportunity to come to the knowledge of the hope of the truth in Jesus. There's also a point where, uh, where it might not be that we return to Judaism, but we just return to our old ways. And we slowly but surely fall into the old rutted out paths of the past. And we allow sin in. And then it like kind of makes, you know, takes up residence and it's like hanging out. And then you're, all of a sudden you're totally okay with it. And now all of a sudden you're questioning not the sin in your life, but the word, the Bible. And, you know, you're questioning like why would I go to church? I have better things I could do. You start questioning all kinds of stuff. Like, why would, I, why would I stay with one spouse my whole life? You know what? This person has problems. And I just don't know if I'm the right person to deal with it. This is the kind of stuff where we, we start getting real sideways and real twisted really fast. And there's warnings about that too, where we continually neglect the, the Lord's voice, and we start, it becomes harder and harder to hear, and, and, we, and our hearts become harder and harder, and our conscience becomes more and more seared. And so that's why if you have ears to hear, let you, let's hear. If you can feel it, good. If you can't, then not good. So there's a real warning here for anyone thinking that they could have the, the blood of Jesus, like kind of a la carte, like, oh, well, yeah, I, 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 said, I said yes to Jesus at, at a crusade, and I'm good. But we neglect all the power and everything that he wants to do under the transformative work of Christ. Without Jesus, there is no hope of salvation. 
but we do have Jesus. So that's the good news of this passage. This is, this is the rejecting of Christ. Anyone who has rejected Moses, verse 28, Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace? There were heavy consequences for rejecting the law or the old covenant. Heavy consequences, right? And, and it, it could be like life or death because God was wanting to sanctify and set apart his people. Do you think he doesn't want to set apart and sanctify his people now? And if we think that we can do it apart from, that's, that was always the deal with the children of Israel, right? In the Old Testament. We could do it, we have a better idea than what your law says. We have a better idea than what you've said to us. We actually think we know better. We actually think we have a better plan. That's, that's what sin is. I, I know better. Faith is, we've mentioned before many times, it's allegiance. I trust you. I'm for you. Wherever you go, I go. I'm with you. Like, leader, you go, and I'm right behind you. If you say jump, I'll say how high. That's what allegiance looks like. That's what faith looks like. Sin is the opposite. Sin is, no, nah, I don't think I want to go that way. I've been thinking, and I'm, you know what? I don't know if you've ever pondered this, but I, you know, I've been coming up with some pretty deep stuff. I don't think anyone in history has thought about the deep stuff I'm thinking about. So, how much more? So there's heavy consequences for rejecting the law where God set apart his people. How much more for those who trample the son of God underfoot? How much more for those who spit on the grace of God? This is a warning to coming to like the subject of the cross flippantly. Like it's, this is not a common thing. We should be blown away by God's grace. That's why we do, and it'll be next week, that's why we do communion. This is a reminder of what Jesus did. And we take it seriously. That's why actually in 1 Corinthians, it has like warnings about coming to the table like loot, like without really thinking about it. Because it starts putting into us this like flippant idea of, ah, oh, it's a call, ah, it's whatever. Everybody kind of gets it, you know. Yeah, a little bit of Jesus, you know, sprinkle a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of oregano, you know, a little bit of whatever, you know. A little bit of Jesus, a little bit of astrology, a little bit of, you know, self-help. And we, we, we so what, what do we end up with? With nothing. Because Jesus is like, I am not to be shared. Like, I'm not to be, I, I, you need all of me. It's what you're created for. It's the purpose of it all. So we're not going to trample on the, the grace of God. You know, we don't want to trample on what Jesus or the son of God who counted Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. What's the spirit of grace? It's the Holy Spirit. So what is it when you insult the spirit of grace? It's like the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So I think what we're talking about is the same, the other, the same warning. Rejecting the Holy Spirit. Rejecting what God wants to do in your life. That is condemnation. That is judgment. As we reject what God is trying to do in our lives, and as we choose our own way, we receive the judgment of that as he allows us the decision to do it. Go for it. You could do it. I'll allow it. But I, I, it's not a good idea. 
It's really not a good idea. Maybe you've had that with your kids and you know they're not making a good decision and you're like, okay, just go for it. It's up to you. I would, exp- I would, I would encourage you not to, but you know, this, that's exactly what this is, choosing to go do it on our own. Because for, especially for the, those of us who've received the Holy Spirit, who God has ministered to us and we've received grace and we felt the relief of forgiveness and we felt our hearts being transformed by the grace of God, man, to whom much is given, much is required. We're responsible for what we've been allotted. There are people in the world that, what do we say? Did they hear the good news of the gospel? Those of us who did hear, we have no excuse. We have no excuse. And so there's, there is a real tangible connection of what we do with, with that grace and the cross and how we choose to live. And do we want to make a life where we say, I don't really care. I'm just going to sin forever and I'm just going to do my own thing. That's, that is not like the mindset of someone who's been transformed by the grace of God. Or I'm going to carve out my own way. That is not the way. Verse 30. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. David, when he was deciding, am I going to go into my, you know, I'm going to be to the, to the, my enemies? Like, what's my punishment to go be before my enemies or before the, before God? And he's like, God is going to, he's merciful and he's gracious. And he, he said that, but there's something about the hand of God that you, you can see it. When you see God's judgment, it is, it's very strong and he's, and it's completely righteous. And so like this whole excuse thing where we think we're good because we're, you know, I've had this or I've had that. It's like, it's going to be completely righteous justice. And, but God will judge. Uh, I was reading a book by a pastor and he was saying in his early years, he was, he was preaching the word. He was really excited. And then he really started to struggle with the topic of hell. Um, as I think there's a certain degree of we all should, we should hate what hell is, you know, like that, that should, that should burden us. But he just decided, I'm going to try and write this thing out of my theology. And so he went to all these different directions to try to not, not deal with hell, you know. And, I'm, you know, whatever, I'm going to start preaching, you know, annihilationism. You know, we just end up, we're nothing. We just, you know, cease to exist after a, a time of judgment. And, and, and he slowly was working his way. And he said, you know what the thing is that I noticed is that I, I wasn't freed by this. I was actually more and more in bondage. And the gospel became less impactful in my own life because I was neglecting the power of the message. And the message is that Jesus came to save us from judgment, from sin that we committed, that we are under, that the world is, is still reeling it in. I mean, I mean, just, are there not things that just make you so disgusted when you see it? Like the effects of, of deep rooted sin. I mean, things like, talk about like trafficking and stuff like that. I mean, if that doesn't make your blood boil, like, do you have a pulse? You know? And you're like, like kind of like secretly hoping you see someone, you know, like, You'd be like, I'm going to get them this time, you know, whatever. Vengeance is mine, says Chris, you know. 
But like this is, this is like we're, we're grieved by the pain of sin and darkness in our world. We're grieved by the, the, the fact that families are taken away. Death is, is a rob. I mean, it's a thief. And it's all because death is what? What's, what's death? It's like, it's like the wages of sin is death. We're, we die because of this world being corrupted by sin. And so it's important to understand that there is judgment involved. And, 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 it's, and it's an important thing that we want a just God. We all think we want benevolent, never-ending grace until someone does something wrong to you. And then you want justice. You know, like, guys, let's let everybody, you know, do their thing. Come on, just give them, hey, just let it go, let it go. And then it happens to you, you're like, someone needs to pay for this. Where, where was that uh, sense for justice when it was you that was the one that needed to pay? And that's, that's exactly the point. And of course, we'll never be able to pay. We, we, so we, we put ourselves in this position of a just God who uses, by example, this, the parable of the unforgiving servant who is forgiven a, a wage that could probably never be paid and then doesn't forgive someone else right afterwards. You, you have no idea what justice is. We have such a, a flawed view of what we think is grace and what we think is justice and how jacked up we are. But God, believe this, the Lord knows. He is just and he is powerful and he is not mocked. And so we have to not just look at the world around us. This is the thing it's so, it's so easy to do. You go, look at all the problems in the world. Oh, God is not mocked. Justice is coming for you. But we first, we got to remember this, that the judgment starts where? In the house of the Lord. So as, as, this, as we look at this warning about what can happen when we choose to not, no longer follow Jesus, when we choose to do things our own way. And, and you know what's so tricky about this? I, I, I was listening to, I think it was A.W. Tozer was doing a message on this. And he was saying how, if you're the person that is afraid that, that this is you, that you've fallen into this, that you're kind of jacked up, that uh, did I mess up? Did I? It's probably not. It's so often the person that's justified all the way. I feel good about myself. Oh, no, but I've made a better way. I've thought a better way through. And so as we hear this, we go, this awakens and stirs things up in us that are supposed to be stirred up. Sometimes we need to know the truth. And sometimes we need to be realigned with man. We are not meant to live in this world. This is not like, for, like to just live here. We're meant to live here and, and do the work of the kingdom. We are ambassadors. We are followers of Christ. We are, we are his workmanship created to do good things, to be a part of good things here now. But if we start getting too comfortable here in this world, we recognize that we're starting to fall into a very dangerous trap. Verse 32, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. After you illuminated, you came to light. You came to know Jesus. This would be, you know, you're saved. You endured great struggle with great sufferings. This is the struggle that's kind of been talked about. This is, this is the, what they have gone through. They were saved, then they endured persecutions and sufferings. And again, this is their context we're going to see for wanting to run. 
Verse 33, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated, for you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. They experienced it themselves. You were made a spectacle. What does that mean? Everyone got to see that you were, you were made an example. And what did they get to see by reproaches and tribulations? Reproaches is like insults and tribulations is distress. You guys went through some pretty gnarly stuff. And partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. Not only were you feeling it for yourselves, but you also went as far as to become companions to those who are hurting and going through stuff. You decided to help other people. Isn't that cool? Like you, you decided to put yourself right in the middle of the mix. So they did that. And then it says, for you had compassion on me in my chains. This is why I think partially why a lot of people think Paul wrote this. This sounds like Paul, doesn't it? Sounds very much like Paul. Um, for you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. So you had compassion on his chains. You did not forsake him. And this led to guilty by association, judged by who you know, right? And uh, maybe your parents told you that. It's not just what you do, it's what the people you're with are doing. So he, these people had chosen, these believers had chosen to stand by Paul with compassion. Does this sound like fruits of, of people who know Jesus and are like walking with him? Absolutely, right? And then what happens? They joyfully accepted losing their goods, having a heavenly mindset. This is the Holy Spirit all over them. They endured well. They were doing really well under persecution, the close, closeness of Christ brings us through like the most gnarly of circumstances. And they were sensing that, it seems. Because why? They were looking unto the future. I, I, I'm not, what, what am I going to do? Bring this stuff with me? And they were dealing with seizure of property. And we go, oh, wow, that must have sucked for them. But you think about your life and you go, no, you better not take my stuff, you know? But this is what they were enduring for the cross, for Jesus. So it's, I actually think it's a good thing for us to remember. Like it's so easy to look at, to read about people in history and go, you guys are so, you guys are so dumb. Like who on earth would go with that? You know, how on earth could anybody join that side? And then all of a sudden you like realize, oh no, I kind of just go with the flow sometimes. I would have joined that side. Like, because it took great courage to not. And so we can look at this Hebrew believers, and you go, these Hebrew believers. <laughs> what a weak group of believers. Apparently not. Apparently they weren't. Because I don't know about you, but I actually really haven't suffered much and in even insults for following Christ. A little bit. Or distress. Yeah, a little bit. Seizure of property? Nope. Like willing to, to, to go alongside someone who's, who's being like in prison and knowing it could lead to your being in prison. We just don't live in that world here. 
But it's important to understand these are not like, these are real believers that have, that have as we saw earlier, these are those who have fruits of the Spirit in their life. It's coming out of their life. And yet, and yet, there is an appeal, please don't turn away. Please don't stop. Please don't stop looking to Jesus. So they had really done well in hard circumstances and now they're considering turning. They're looking at an alternate source of peace because they lost themselves and they've lost themselves in the process. Whereas Jesus was their peace and that's what we're promised, like a peace that, that just doesn't even make any sense. Peace that passes understanding. And, and I've talked to a lot of you guys and you've experienced that kind of peace. When you go through the hardest situations in your life and you stay close to the Lord, there's like a peace that passes understanding. Something you couldn't, you couldn't come up with on your own. How in the world am I experiencing peace right now? How on earth can I, does it feel like Jesus is next to me holding me? But then what happens when all of a sudden he isn't that close and now all of a sudden we're out of the fight and we're not pressed in and we're not entering into the holy place where the presence of God is and we don't have that kind of relationship. What ends up happening? Either we draw back into the presence and the peace of God and, and go straight back to where the source is where I can find peace in the middle of anything. Gnarliest of persecutions. You know, when Jesus talks about like the end of the age, and he's talking about the, the trials and the tribulations and you'll be served up. He's, don't worry about what you'll say. You'll, the spirit will tell you what to say. Don't you worry about what you're gonna do. He's gonna take care of all that. But we do the opposite. I got a plan for every little bad thing that could possibly happen in my whole entire life. And, uh, and if anything ever happens, you know, my kid's never gonna ride a bike and he's never gonna like, you know, do anything. And he's never gonna, he's gonna wear a helmet when he goes to school and he's, you know, How's that going to work out? Because if we don't find peace in Christ and we don't allow him to be the ruler of the universe and, and not just the ruler of the universe, but the ruler and the Lord of our lives, we're going to have to find peace somewhere else. And it's a, it's a real shaking. It's a real shaking because we've had kind of a natural peace in the world we're living in. And it's given us a false sense of what peace is. Peace is stability. Peace is, you know, um, affluence. And peace is good weather. And peace is, you know, government that's favorable towards you. But the peace that we see in the Old Testament is peace that comes from the Holy Spirit, regardless of circumstances of what you're going through. That is powerful peace. And what's sad is if you've experienced that kind of peace, the other peace just doesn't work. And so you have to keep on finding and you gotta keep on looking for more. You gotta keep on looking for more. It becomes your drug of choice. And so, gosh, peace has gotta be, if it's not here, it's gotta be somewhere else. Let's go, we gotta get out of here. There's no peace there anymore. It's like, is there no Jesus there? Because if Jesus is there, there, it, there is, there's peace there. He, there can be peace anywhere. Because Paul is singing songs and hymns in prison. And he's writing letters in prison. And he's watching people getting saved in prison. Is this favorable? Is this something we want? No. But the peace can be wherever you're at. And you ask yourself, what am I here for? Is, am I, if it's allegiance, that's like a soldier type of a thing. Have you guys ever heard of Moravians? Moravians was like a, a movement back in the day and they, they had this view of themselves as soldiers. They're like soldiers in the Lord's army. We could do well to, to be brought back into that kind of thinking. 
Because you know what, what the, the, the church, the greater church, especially the Western church, is known for now? Being consumers. The exact opposite. And so what really it comes down to is, if sin is, I make decisions based on what I think I want, what I think I need, what sounds best to me, that sounds like consumers. If faith is allegiance, that sounds like soldiers. I think it was the, the Methodists too had, had, had a lot of that imagery and that I believe it was them that started the Salvation Army. You're like, yeah, Salvation Army. I can think of a great name for this. We're, we're soldiers for Jesus. Allegiance is just, it's like, you say it, I go, you know? So if we're looking for an alternate source of peace in our life, we'll lose ourselves in the process. We won't find it. How do we see this in our lives? I mean, where do we see this in our lives where we're trying to find peace? Maybe God has been so faithful and he's walked us through gnarly trials and struggles and now we're looking to find it somewhere else. Just, you know, there's no judgment in this from us, from me. It's like, I, I, I know what that feels like. I hate that feeling. But the response is really simple. Go back to the veil torn in two and enter in. We have a faithful high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. He's faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why if you take that first verse out of context, that doesn't work with the rest of the book. Verse 35, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. There, uh, for you have need of endurance, that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Therefore, so with this in mind, with what we've just said, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Confidence, the word confidence is boldness. Don't give away your boldness. Don't get scared out of doing what you're supposed to do. Don't let them win. Do not fear. Don't run. Don't hide. Don't make concessions. Don't compromise. Respond to this with boldness. Confidence and boldness. Again, we're going to talk a lot about faith. That's the next subject we'll be diving into with a bunch of Old Testament examples. But it's always, it's always been about faith and, and looking to the provision of God. Just trusting his plan. God, I know you're going to see this through. I know you have a plan. Ever since you started it at the beginning and then you reestablished it with a people, with Abraham, you had a plan and you were going to fulfill it. That's what faith is. I trust you. I'm ready to get into that plan. And then it says that you have, uh, for you have need of endurance. The word endurance means steadfastness. Again, I like that. <laughs> the promises are given to those who walk in faith. You believe before you see and you receive from the God who sees. It's, it's done by faith. You know, it's, it, we don't see, but we believe, we trust. And it's not like a blind faith. It's, it's founded in reality. Verse 37, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Heavy, 
It's from Habakkuk 2, 3, and 4. Uh, this verse is also quoted in um, Romans and Galatians. What's interesting is in Romans, uh, the emphasis is on the just. The just shall live by faith. In Galatians, the emphasis is on live. And then here it's on faith, which is really cool. You know, it's kind of like the different facets. And if you read those books, you can see there's some really uh, cool cool things to that. So don't pull back. Keep going. Don't retreat. Don't surrender. And if you found yourself slipping, all good, man. Get back up. We have a, a, a gracious high priest. We have a God who forgives our sins, who sees us and forgives us and knows. Verse 39, but we are not those who draw back to perdition but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. This is not who we are. We don't fall back. We're not those who draw back. It's like a hesitancy to perdition, which is waste. So we like don't hesitate until we become worth nothing. You know, that's, hesitancy is, is a killer. Like a lack of confidence is like a killer. I learned that a lot in mountain biking. It's commit. Surfing too, I'm sure, right? Not that good at surfing, so you know. But like mountain biking, it's 100% you, you commit. You have to commit. Because once you're doing it, you're doing it. And you, sometimes you'll see people go, oh, you'll see them going over a rock face and they're just full brakes and they pull their feet off the pedals and you're like, I wish I was recording this, you know. Um, uh, but you, you know exactly what's about to happen. It's going to get really, really bad, really, really fast. Once you're in, you just commit. There's no hesitancy. Because if, if you don't, you're, you're going you're gonna to get really hurt. And so that's usually where a lot of injuries happen. Even when we play like softball. It's when guys kind of half go or instead of sliding, they try and, you know, and blow out something. First game of the season, it's hammies everywhere. Moon's over Miami, you know, just woo. Yeah. Everyone's limping off. Oh my gosh. You know, I thought I was still in just the same shape I was 30 years ago. How can this be? But like hesitancy, we're not those who, who have this hesitancy and turn to waste. Church needs some resolve, man. We need to be, we need to be like willing to just do whatever, just to follow Jesus because we trust him more and we believe not just like, yeah, the world can take away our, our can hurt our body and, and harm our bodies, but like this, this is our soul. I mean, do you see the judgment? It's, it's of our soul. Just, and, and we don't do that because of fear, but there is a healthy understanding of, dude, there's some high stakes here. If you want to just do, our, if we want to just do our own thing and continue to spit on God's beautiful plan of bringing us restoration and renewal and revival and forgiveness, and we think we can just go off doing our own thing, got another thing coming. The belief we have is it's not cerebral, but it's transformative. It's not just something we think in our heads, but it's transformative by the blood of Jesus and the empowering of the Spirit. Like, where's the fruit in our life? What are we called to do? I think it's to, to grow and being solid and following Jesus and trusting him completely, knowing that he's faithful to, to take us through whatever season he has before us. 
But we would do well, especially as we see the world's kind of gnarly and crazy and becoming more anti-Christian in a lot of ways, in the West, in the West, because Christianity is actually like blowing up in, in much of the world, which is so insanely awesome. We, but we're, we're, our eyes are here because we're looking here and we watch our news here and the algorithms are here. But there's, there's, God is doing a mighty work. But what are, we, what are we doing about where are we at now? What are we called to now? Because we don't want to be those who look at back and go, bunch of punks, they, they back down. They ran away. Look at them, they ran away, you know? Remember there's a couple times where we got ourselves into a little bit of trouble with friends and the guys who ran away were like, don't trust them. <laughs> those guys ran away. Like when we were in trouble, like they were gone. None of them helped us. They were all gone. Like we we're like, we, we no longer, it's like you're not in on this anymore. So whatever you think you were gonna endure by like backing your friends up, now you're gonna deal with it way worse because we don't trust you anymore. And so uh, our whole point here, guys, is we don't wanna be those who are like that, walking away, backing away, looking, you know, trying to run and get out of there, but to trust God and then to experience what they had experienced before, this peace, even when they're losing everything. That only comes from relationship with Jesus. And as soon as we get our eyes off of that, we're falling. We're falling. We're starting the process of falling. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.